On this episode of Leadership Lessons in Health System Pharmacy, you will hear from Precious Lee Thompson, who earned her degree from Ohio State and joined Ohio State's Kerwin Institute in 2018. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Leadership Lessons in Health System Pharmacy. I'm your host, Dr. Robert Weber, Chief Pharmacy Officer and Administrator of Pharmacy Services at The Ohio State University Wexner Medical Center. Powered by The Ohio State University Lachalet Leadership Program, this show is designed to keep current and aspiring health system pharmacy leaders up to date with issues, trends, and best practices affecting our profession. You can learn more about the Lashley Leadership Program and the Ohio State University's College of Pharmacy MS and Health System Pharmacy Administration and Leadership by visiting go.osu.edu forward slash pharmacy leadership. That's go.osu.edu forward slash pharmacy leadership. Prior to her time at Kerwin, Precious worked in the nonprofit sector advocating for many marginalized communities, including incarcerated youth and adults, those with mental illness, survivors of domestic violence and sexual assault, as well as transient youth and foster youth. These experiences have shaped her perspective on structuralized racism and oppression, both in the way that these forces silence communities as well as the impact that they have on the services and resources provided to these communities. Okay, let's jump into our interview with Precious Thompson. Precious, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. I appreciate you having me. It is great to have you here today, and I really appreciate you taking time to to educate our audience, who, as you know, are health system pharmacy leaders, on this really important topic uh, of implicit bias. But before we get into that, we've heard a little bit about you in your introductory bio. Is there anything else the audience should know about you? Well, I'd say aside from the fact that I'm from Columbus, born and raised and a dog mom, I am also a student in the master's social work program. Oh, that's great. And when do you expect to finish your degree? I am set to finish in spring 22. Great. That's excellent. Thank you. What, what are your plans from there? Just continuing to use your skill set within the Kerwin Institute? Yeah, a little bit of both. So I plan on continuing to have conversations like the ones we're having right now, focusing on implicit bias and cultural competence, really offering um, some type of consulting would be really great. Um, and then I also want to do private therapy. Oh, wow. That sounds really, that sounds very, very cool. Well, well, good luck with your studies. Thank you. I appreciate it. So implicit bias, I mean, we've, we've heard quite a bit about it. I know as a pharmacy leader myself, I, I've heard it quite a bit within our institution. But for those that, that haven't been, been heard too much about implicit bias, what is it exactly? Yeah, so it's defined as attitudes or stereotypes that affect our understanding, action, and decisions in an unconscious manner. So really, it's something that happens in a part of our minds that we really just don't have access to. Uh, We can't really self-reflect. 
and find out what our implicit associations are. Um, and if we don't take the time to learn out what, sorry, if we don't take the time to figure out what implicit biases are and how they work, it's not something that we'll be able to really pinpoint because it is in our unconscious process. So it's not something that's obvious to us every day. So it's not like we would be making a decision about something as a pharmacy director and all of a sudden say, oh, wait a minute, I need to make that decision differently because I have an implicit bias that I've recognized. Exactly. Okay. Wow. I mean, I, 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 think, I don't think people see it as much as an unconscious, uh, something unconscious. I mean, I, actually, that's the first time I've, I've actually heard that explained that way. Can you give us some examples either from sort of life in general or just from the workplace that you've had that you've you know learned from other folks? Yeah, yeah. So that's one thing that I say is very common. A lot of times people don't recognize that you can have implicit biases, which would be those unconscious biases, and you can also have explicit biases. So these would be the biases or the values and beliefs that you're aware of um, and you know that you have them. And oftentimes your implicit biases do not align with your explicit biases. Um, Yes, but most people think that explicit biases are the same thing. Uh, So that's one of the ways um, that people can get confused about them. But I'd say one of the most common examples we see implicit bias showing up is with microaggressions. Microaggressions happen in our day-to-day interactions um, or conversations that we're having with clients, or even colleagues. So microaggressions. So that would be when somebody may get irritable or irritated with something somebody's said or done based on their implicit biases? It's really, I'd say microaggressions are like unintended comments. They usually communicate some type of harm or derogatory slight. Most of the time you'll see them directed toward um, people of color, um, Black and Indigenous people of color, gender minorities, and people identify as LGBTQ. So it's really those phrases where they cause harm, but the person saying it usually didn't mean to cause that harm. So you might have this a microaggression show up in conversations where maybe you're trying to figure out what the race um, or even ethnicity of a person is that you haven't interacted with before. And oftentimes we might say things like, well, what are you? And, or where are you from, right? And they might, you know, reply different ways. So yes, those those are those moments where we have microaggression. I see. Okay, that's interesting. Um, so uh, this is sort of an example that um, I heard of years ago, is that when you talk to people on the phone, your impression of who they are uh, is really, is is that like who they are, like what they look like or their race and ethnicity does implicit bias play into play into that situation? Oh yeah, for sure. Right. Implicit bias are really or implicit biases are really those moments where we're making automatic assumptions about people and we aren't taking the time to self-reflect and find out what they are. So yeah, if you're listening to um, if you're talking to someone on the phone or even like ordering food through a fast food line um, and you hear somebody's tone of voice or the way that they're speaking, you might assume their race. You might have a whole idea of what this person looks like in their entire life story. 
all of it from very little information. And when you're able to come up with all of these assumptions out of nowhere, usually that's a first sign that it's your implicit bias. I see. Okay. Yeah, because you can't really, unless you know a person, unless you've spoken to them, had interactions, personal interactions, known them for a while, it's very difficult to make any judgments, frankly, about them. So, yeah, I, I can understand that. So, given that, then, then how does implicit bias then, you said that most implicit biases and microaggressions may be directed towards people of color, black, or black indigenous people of color. So how does the whole implicit bias concept relate to racism? Yeah, so implicit biases can be triggered by any aspect of identity. Right. So it's not just our race, but, you know, our sexuality, our, our weight, um, our education status. Any of these things can trigger implicit bias um, and racial implicit biases are also things that can be triggered. So these might be I'd say the easiest way to understand these is to really think about the racial stereotypes that exist in our society, one that we media a lot um, is the associated association between blackness and criminality. Um, if we look at the research, we know that black people are not more prone to criminality than any other race of people, but that's not the message that we often hear in media, right? So those types of stereotypes and repeated messages are the messages that inform, influence, and shape our implicit biases or our implicit associations. So if you are a person who is not Black um, or even Black and you've internalized those stereotypical messages, your implicit biases would be reflective of those messages. So you might um, see a person of color or a Black person and automatically assume that they are up to no good. So when you think about the workplace, so most of the, of the audience works in a hospital. Most of our people are in positions of leadership. So they've, they're a manager. They're usually managing anywhere from, you know, seven people to 150 or to 40 direct reports. So they've got lots of sort of people management responsibilities. And how does implicit bias possibly connect to their work as they manage people. Yes. So with implicit biases, they're always reflective of the dominant messages or dominant narratives that we hear in our society. Um, And we always will revert to our implicit biases, even if we're mitigating them. So it's important to know that they are always at play at at all times. Um, And the moments that make us the most susceptible to our implicit biases affecting our decisions and behaviors is when we have a compromised cognitive load. So we might not be able to do our best thinking. We might be multitaskers or managing a lot of different things at one time. Um, when un- whenever we're under any time pressure, because our associative memory, where our implicit biases um, work out of in our brains or our unconscious minds, that's our quickest and most efficient way to process information. So whenever we're under a time pressure, we're going to be more reliant on our implicit biases. The next is overconfident in objectivity, overconfidence in our ability to be objective, right? So we assume we're able to completely remove ourselves from decisions, uh, but we're not. And then the last one is ambiguous information. 
So whenever we have missing or incomplete information, we're going to be reliant on our implicit biases to make sense of that situation and fill in any blanks that we might have. So really at all moments, especially when you are a manager or in some type of leadership role, you need to make sure that you're mitigating your implicit biases because for the most part, our workplaces are set up in a way that always makes us susceptible to our biases when we're making decisions or interacting with others. Wow. Do you mind just for the audience and uh, people listening to the podcast, do you mind just repeating those three? You don't need to describe them, but just repeat those three uh, points that you just said so that it sort of drives the point home with our group. Yes. Yes. So we have four moments. Uh, Two of them are constants for us. So this is a compromised cognitive load, not being able to do your best thinking, and then overconfidence in your ability to be objective. And then the other two moments, they can present themselves in different situations, but it's whenever you're under any time pressures. And then if you have ambiguous or missing or incomplete information. Wow. Because, you know, that describes, Precious, the, the absolute perfect day in the life of a pharmacy director. Oh, I bet. Right. We're, we're pressured. We, 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 have, we often have to make decisions with not a lot of information and uh, particularly when it comes to human resources related issues um, because you know we may not understand fully the situation so that that those four uh, points are so valuable to this audience and that's why I asked you to reiterate them and I appreciate that is that the, the, these are what our our leaders need to, to know that during these situations, you're going to be most pro- prone to your implicit biases really driving, you know, some of your behavior, whether it be your spoken actions or your just how you behave. So um, that's really interesting. And, and, and that's going to be very, very helpful um, for people listening to this podcast. Um, so if you were a, uh, a pharmacy leader, let's just put yourself in their position, and you wanted to learn about implicit associations, implicit biases, how would you go about doing that? Yeah. So the one, you want to figure out what your implicit biases are. So the easiest way to figure out those is is to take an implicit association test. You can find it at implicit.harvard.edu. Or you can just Google implicit association test and you'll be taken to Project Implicit's website where they have all types of IATs related to a lot of different uh, attitudes or stereotypes that exist in our society. So you can figure out what implicit biases you have that way. Or if you happen to have access to an fMRI transmitter that you can use freely, feel free to use that as well. Um, And then... The Kerwin Institute, we have so many online trainings that are free uh, and publicly available that can help you understand not only how implicit biases work, um, but how to mitigate the effects of them. And it'll also explain how the implicit association test works. So I highly recommend checking out a couple of our trainings before taking the implicit association test. Okay, so let's back up just a little bit. So that's really good information. So the Ohio State University Kerwin Institute, would you mind telling the audience a little bit about that institute and how it all came about? Yes. So 
The Carwin Institute is housed at OSU. It's the Carwin Institute for the Study of Race and Ethnicity. And our mission is creating a just and inclusive society where all people have the opportunity to succeed. So we really uh, try to connect individuals and communities with opportunities needed for Thrive. And we do this by educating the public, um, building capacity of allied social justice organizations, and investing in efforts that support equity and inclusion. So this could look like um, trainings, equity assessments, um, but also research. Research is the leading work that we do at an institute. So we're always looking for new ways to approach equity and thinking about the road that not only race, um, the role that race, but also intersecting identities with race play when we're looking at opportunity in our society. And that was named after, it was a past president of Ohio State, correct? Yes, William E. Britt Kerwin. Yes, and he was president, let me see, I've been associated with Ohio State for about 40, about 45 years, and he was the president somewhere in the 90s. Was it in the 90s he was the president? I'm trying to just recall. I believe so. I know it was a while before I was here, um, but the institute was established in May 2003. Oh, okay. So it's been here, you know, 17, 18 years. And just for the audience, uh, obviously, most of us are Ohio State alumni. Um, and, and, and how would they contact the Kerwin Institute on the internet, just Google Kerwin Institute and they would connect them? Yeah, you can go to our website, kerwininstitute.osu.edu. You can also sign up on our mailing list where every, or bi-weekly, we have community forums. So we're always having a virtual right now, but in person, hopefully soon. Um, we have conversations related to identity um, diversity and inclusion, uh, research, anything like that. And we have scholars from the university coming in as well as community members coming in to participate in these conversations. So there's all types of different ways to get involved with us. Um, and yeah, just visit our website or feel free to uh, email any of our staff and we'll connect you. That's fabulous. So now let's get back to uh, implicit association tests. And you know, obviously, you go on the Harvard website and you'll see a variety of tests. So give, give us an example of, of, of one of the implicit bias tests and sort of what do the results mean? How are they? How is it listed? What kind of a test is it? How do you actually determine your implicit biases? Yeah. So uh, the test that we explain in our online trainings is the race-based implicit association test. Um, and with this test, it measures how strongly uh, your automatic preference is for African-Americans compared to white Americans. So the test is a response latency test. So what it's doing is really measuring down to the millisecond how quickly and accurately you sort information based off the directions given to you. So when you log in, you get directions that'll tell you um, what items to group into certain categories. And it'll ask you to just push buttons, two buttons, usually sometimes four, depending on the test. But if you do the race um, IAT test, it's just two buttons. 
one finger on E, one finger on I. And as different images are popping up on the screen, it just asks you to sort it. And every time a new image pops up on the screen, they will shift the way that they're presenting that information. And yeah, and then if it takes you, the longer it takes you to sort information and the more errors that you have, it's going to tell you that you have a weaker, um, no, a yeah, a weaker implicit association. Uh, whereas if you sort it very quickly and accurately, it'll say you have a stronger implicit association. So is it, is it, I'm going to ask kind of a simple question. Is it hard to do? No, not at all. It's super easy to do. Honestly, I think the hardest part is the hand-eye coordination. So I'd, I'd suggest, you know, practicing the test a little bit just to help yourself get a little used to the movements. I've heard it's actually easier on your cell phone than it is. Oh, is it? Okay. Online. Yep. Okay. Or on the computer. And so let's say you do this test and, and then the results pop out. What would, what would the results say to, to anybody? Would it say you have a strong association or a strong, like what are the words that it says? A strong association to black people versus white people, for example, or a moderate association? How It'll say slight, moderate to strong, automatic preference for either group, right? So yeah, if you, uh, most people honestly have a slight to moderate automatic preference for um, white Americans over black Americans or African Americans. Yeah, so most people will get those results. And when you get your test, you'll get your results. And then you'll also get to see a graphic of how everyone else who has taken that test where they fall, where their results fall. Of course, it's all anonymous, but yeah. Wow. That, that, so then, um, so what other categories are there? There's obviously race and ethnicity, and what other categories? There's race. Uh, there's some that measure associations or biases with weight, uh, social economic status, looking at how strongly you might associate men in career and women at home. There's some related to um, ability status. There are so many different implicit association tests. And, and so as a, let's say I'm a, again, I'm a pharmacy director and, and let's say you're in the position, how do you, how do you decide which ones to, to focus on? Do you just start with the race and, and uh, ethnicity first? Um, I'd say start with whatever you feel the most comfortable with. Uh, in the training, we share a list of ones we recommend. I always say uh, race, gender, sexuality, ability status, and socioeconomic status are all great ones uh, to start with. But there are so many different implicit association tests that I'd really just start with what makes you feel the most comfortable, what test resonates with you the most or is the most attractive to you. And once you are able to digest your results and understand where those biases come from, it can make it easier as you're getting your results from other implicit association tests. Because it's very likely you might feel some type of discomfort or cognitive dissonance when you get results. Oh, I see. Um, so just for the audience, uh, go to the Kerwin Institute and do some training and they will recommend uh, which implicit association tests to take. And hopefully uh, the folks listening to this podcast will then take those uh, implicit association tests, get the results, 
Now, once you get the results, is there obviously something that should be done with it? Is it just something that people need to be aware of? Are there specific resources that can help people? I know you said the Kerwin Institute has some resources, but any other resources that can help people understand and help to deal with their implicit biases? Yes. So implicit bias is a a hot topic right now. So there are resources all over the place. Uh, There's a lot of really great resources um, on YouTube. I know MTV was doing a a bias cleanse at one point. They uh, last I heard they're revamping it. So hopefully that'll show up soon. Um, But there's all types of different resources people could get. But I would say the best thing about taking the implicit association test is once you have your implicit biases or you know what your results are, you're going to be able to access that information. So you'll be able to pull it from your unconscious mind into your conscious awareness. And once it's in your conscious awareness, then you can begin making sure that you're mitigating the effects of it in your decision making. So I'd say taking the implicit association test and engaging in self-reflection and being very intentional about your word choice and your language and behaviors, especially in moments where you are uncomfortable, are the the biggest strategies to mitigate implicit bias. Well, that's really amazing stuff because, uh, again, you know, what, what you've described in terms of some of the stressors are the things that we deal with every single day. And uh, I think it's really great information that people listening to this podcast can say, okay, I'm going to go to the Kerwin Institute. I'll do some training. I'll go to the Harvard uh, Implicit Association Test website. I'll choose some uh, IATs uh, to do. When I get my results, then I'll also, there's also resources for me out on, out in a lot of places to try to understand how I best bring these into my, bring these biases into my conscious mind. And then, uh, hopefully uh, apply them most effectively in making decisions as a pharmacy leader. And uh, that, that I think is such important information. I also, just based on what we've talked about today, I also think that in any department's anti-racism action plan, determining implicit biases amongst the members of a working group is almost necessary, wouldn't you say? Yes, I I definitely would say that. And it's super important to know because a lot of times in our anti-racist action plans, we're focused more on explicit um, or overt instances of bias or discrimination. But we don't, we've often failed to realize that implicit biases are also happening at the same time, right? So if we're aware of both, we'll be more equipped to know how to address these situations and create a more equitable society. Wow. You know, you're a very thoughtful and introspective person. I can just tell from talking to you. And I really, really appreciate uh, your thoughts. And what I always ask uh, many of our guests is, what are some of the interesting things you're reading these days? What are some of the fascinating things you're learning by reading a book or or listening to podcasts? What are, what are some of the things that really interest you these days? Oh my goodness, everything. There's so many um, different resources coming out, especially those related to really unpacking um, racism, institutional and structural racism, um, and really learning how to approach really shifting our systems or changing them um, and making sure that we have a deeper understanding of our past and history. So one of the books that I'm reading 
currently is White Rage by Carol Anderson. Um, and in this book, she really just outlines um, history in the United States from um, the end of slavery all the way up to till now um, and talks about really lessons in history that we don't generally see in our textbook. I think it's an anti-oppressive approach to understanding history. Um, another really great book is White Fragility by Robin DiAngelo, um, How to Yep, How to Be an Anti-Racist by Dr. Ibram X. Kendi is a popular one. Um, and then if you're really just interested in learning more about structures and systems, um, some of our senior researchers here who do more of our opportunity mapping um, and making of metropolitan change research, uh, they recommend The Color of Law by Richard Rothstein or Rothstein, um, and The Black Laws, Race, and the Legal Process in Early Ohio by Stephen Middleton. Wow, that's some great resources. Um, this has been a, a really fascinating interview. I got to tell you, I've learned a lot, Precious, and I, I know for a fact that our alumni will be able to take what they've heard today and really use it and make an immediate impact on their organization. So I really appreciate your time and effort and have a great day. And thank you again for participating in this podcast. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. And I hope that all your listeners know that I am a resource, not only Preciously Thompson at Ohio State. So please feel free to reach out to me if you have questions or, you know, you want to unpack your implicit biases um, in a more one-on-one -on -one approach. I'm happy to help. Well, thank you. And I know, I know for a fact that I'll be reaching out to you. So, <laughs> so I, 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 we all, again, we all appreciate your time and have a great day. Thank you. You too. You thank you for joining us for this episode of Leadership Lessons in Health System Pharmacy. And if you found this interview helpful to your own professional development, Please do us a favor and share the good news with your colleagues and leave us with a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts each and every week.